Hello and welcome to this episode of the Star Wars Universe podcast. Today we are continuing our coverage of Andor, talking about episode 8 of season 1. And we're doing it with myself, Paul Hoppy, and returning guest, professor, doctor, all-around academic extraordinaire, Matthew Capel. All that more after a commercial break. We have no control over Welcome back. I'm Matthew, your host. Use they, them pronouns. Uh, as always, as almost always, we have erstwhile guest, absolutely not a host, Paul. Uh, Paul, you want to introduce yourself? Yes, I'm I'm Paul Hoppy, a.k.a. Zen Madman. Cool. And uh, as I said, we have a returning guest, someone who came on for a great episode about Ahsoka and the concept of Twilight and of mythology and, and sort of going into the darkness that uh, the audio monsters ate. Um, I'm still trying to claw it back out of the belly of that beast. Uh, but we then also had Matthew come on to talk about um, Star Trek and the idea of the frontier over on Superhero Ethics. And we've been keeping up a correspondence about Andor. And so I'm really glad to have um, Professor, Dr. Grand High Poobah of Academia, whatever the official title should be matthew capel matthew how are you doing today i'm great thank you for having me so let's kind of just dive right in we're going to talk mostly about episode eight but just kind of overall matthew what's been your feeling about uh andor so far it's marxist <laughs> I, I think i see where you're going but yeah let, let's uh let's show me the receipts um so you know i guess tony gilroy is kind of a leftist um and I've really been appreciating the fact that we're getting different versions of what it means to be in a revolution um, and different mm -hmm. ideologies meeting and talking. Um, and in episode eight, we get Sagarera being his Lenin self. Um, so mm -hmm. we get all of the good Marxist background. Um, I don't know what we can call the poor manifesto writer guy who died but maybe ho chi Minh or something but i mean i like the fact that it's not just simplifying everything that we're getting yeah. a very detailed carefully written revolutionary story yeah i think i think that's such a good way of putting it um first i appreciate you challenging the notion that college professors are all leftists uh by just going full on to communist where <laughs> i'm definitely meeting you there um but in, in terms of the analysis but like yeah, I think what I'm most impressed by is is that we are we're seeing the grand forces at work. We're seeing the corruption of the empire and the way that the whole system is getting broken, and the harm that it's causing in ways that are very relatable to our own world at both various points in history and also today. But also the extent to which no one is a cardboard cutout. We are getting like these very personalized stories. And winding up both like having people who are on the quote unquote good side, the rebels who are sometimes doing things that can be troubling. And then we're getting these like people who it's like, oh, yeah, it's a workplace drama about a woman who's not taken seriously in her work. And like, look at her, like putting the pieces together, solving the puzzle, getting recognition from her boss as she hunts down the rebels to help the empire. <laughs> like, you know, and then poor Cyril doing whatever his Cyril cop self was doing, like the degree to which we're getting to see all those different dynamics and and see how much this is a syst systemic problems on all sides, uh, although it's not saying both sides are equal by any means. I, I, I'm just being utterly fascinated by it. In part because it's so different than anything Star Wars has given us before. 
to me, this series gives us a lot of what the prequel trilogy was misguidedly aiming for, I think. Mm-hmm. You know, like, I think George Lucas was like, I want to include all of these political elements and have a bunch of, you know, people sitting around having very serious conversations about how the world should be run. And, but also let's have lightsaber battles and uh, we need, you know, we need, like, more things for toys. And, like, mm-hmm. it, it just... it. In a couple of two-hour movies that are trying to tell this very grand arc, it's like, you just don't have time for all this. And here, Andor definitely takes the time for whatever it wants to say, I feel. Because, like, if you look at the plot of this episode, it's like, what actually, like, happened in terms of this person (laughs) goes to this place and does this thing? It's like, there were a lot of conversations that people had, you know? That was Mm -hmm. the, the... most of it, right? And um, But those conversations are very important, and they tell us a lot about the characters and their place in the, the galaxy and, you know, where they – what their motivations are and what they want to do and how they all aren't necessarily – like, some of them are on the same side as one another and some others of them are on the same side, but they're also all kind of trying to do their own thing in their own way. And it doesn't always, even in this huge mm-hmm. imperial bureaucracy, it's not like everybody has the same vision of how you, you know, uphold order or, you know, whatever right. they want to call it. Well, you know, it's it's possible that bureaucracy is the overarching structure of the, the whole thing um, mm-hmm. because it's a show about how bureaucracies are amoral. Yeah. I, I think that's really true. And I, uh, I've i commented, both Paul and I both commented on this, that I don't know if you've seen this, it's a very different genre, but it reminds me a lot of The Wire in that way, uh-huh. in that the TV show The Wire is about these systems and everything from like the bureaucracy of the cops, to the bureaucracy of the school system, to the bureaucracy of the gangs, because they do have their own bureaucratic structures and how you have individual people within those systems and they might be anywhere from like fairly good, fairly bad, but mostly they're just people who are stuck in these systems that are driving them in different directions. One thing I think you and I have talked about a lot before in previous episodes is I know you have a real strong uh, interest in myth and sort of the powers, power of myth and, and the ar- ar- archetypes of myth. Is it fair to say that like the original story, especially you know, all the Joseph Campbell thoughts about it, and I know we have some critiques of that, but that it was trading largely on mythological archetypes, you know, the wise old man, the the young person who has to become the hero, the, the archetypes of evil. This feels like we've now gotten almost all the way away, away from that in that there's very there's no mythological archetypes that I'm seeing in here, at least in terms of individual people, in that they're all so like Cyril is definitely not the he's Javert if he's anything. He's not the like you know evil cop authority of the state. You know, Dedra we're sympathizing with Saw and Andor and all the different rebels are all like none of them are just the pure and good noble of heart warriors rebels. They're all people with good causes and a lot of trauma and a lot of stuff they're going through. Um, is that a fair comment or am I not quite understanding like the way mythology can play in these things? No, I think it's a completely fair comment. Um, you know, I, I will stick by my notion that it's a very Marxian show, um, Mm -hmm. not necessarily advocating a Marxist revolution, but it's talking through that. Um, and traditionally 
historical particularism of Marxist thought is we are finally of getting rid of religion and myth, and we are going to be exclusively objective and, and accomplish what we need to for the workers that way. Um, so mm-hmm. it, it's, it's working very hard to discount what has come before in that regard. And I think it does it really well, actually. Um, mm-hmm. So, so we're getting characters that feel like they're from the wire, or we're getting characters that um, um, feel kind of to me like like they're from um, a nineteen seventies spy thriller, right? Like yes. Three Days of the Condor, mm-hmm. um, or like All yeah. the President's Men, or something. Yeah. So okay, well, you're, that's a perfect example, right? Um, mm-hmm. Instead of thousand year old myths that we still all traffic in. Um, and I, I, I'm really loving it for being bold enough to ignore Star Wars myth. Yeah. No, I think it's, in some ways I feel like this is the let's tell you the truth behind the myth. You know, like there was a movie, I think it's called ha- uh, Ever After, but it's about a young girl in like 18th century France yeah. who lives with a like, you know, the stepmother, the, the wife of her f- father who's died and, and like the stepmother and stepsisters are mean to her, not to like fairy tale levels. And a prince falls in love with her and there's something about her missing a shoe, but there's no fairy. Ga- it, it is the yeah, attempt to be like, what? If, yeah. It's like, what if there's a real story that then people heard that story and it got retold and retold and retold and became the story of Cinderella? And this, I feel like, is kind of doing the same. It's like a thousand years from now, people are going to talk about, you know, Andor the Wise and, you know, Luthen the, the Bold and, and make this very mythological story about it. But the reality is, at one point, they had to put a gun to a kid's head and might have shot him. And at one point, you know, two cops who were kind of not the best and were hustling a guy got shot in the street, or at least one of them did, you know, on his knees while he was helpless. And like all these things that are not like, I'm not going to be like Andor's not a hero anymore. He's still a hero, but he's not a mythological one at all. Yeah. And one of those two cop or security guards, I think there were like fell down and hit his head and died. From just falling down yeah. and hitting his head. Like he was he was like grabbed and shoved or whatever and he fell and hit his head. And like that that's yeah. the way people die, right? It's not always some like very fancy maneuver that, that someone's oh, yeah. deliberately killing someone. Like sometimes there's a scuffle and someone falls down. It happened in the, the parking garage at, at the casino I used to play at the most. Like yeah. you know, someone pushed someone, they fell down, they hit their head, they're dead. Like and it's that's this very sort of mundane that's um like now now I can't remember his name. Um, fell- oh, Narv. I want to call him Narwhal, but that's wrong. Narville. <laughs> yeah, Narville. Oh my goodness. <laughs> okay, so so when Narwhal gets crushed by, jeez, I can't. Uh, you've brought me into your world of not remembering anybody's names. <laughs> I'm gonna look this up, and I will. Um, Nar Narvin, um, Cyril, Merrick, Val. <laughs> Mon- I'm not hey. even quite like- sure which character you're trying Nyak. to. Nyak. Nyak. That's okay. it. What? It's not Nyak. Nemec. It's Nemec. 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 Okay. There we go. Nyak is a city. Um, yes. I think. Yeah. So, so, <laughs> so Nemec, well, like the way Nemec gets, you know, dies, yeah. right? It's like, it's, it's dumb. It's just like things happen. But it's real. You know? Yeah. And... Like- and the, yeah, the, the characters feel like they're people. I mean, you were talking about the, the structures, and I think sometimes it's tempting to view like, 
well, the real villain is the structure that everybody's, you know, um, mm-hmm. stuck in. And it's like, well, but the real villain is also the people, like those structures don't exact uh, exist. They don't continue to exist without the people who continue right. to, you know, perpetuate them. And so all of the people are villains who are perpetuating yeah. them, but they're also victims often. Right. And they're not like villains who are like, oh, I know I will create this evil bureaucracy or I will enter the evil bureaucracy and then do my evil. Like they're villains because they've gone along with something that is awful right. and oppressive and they have helped perpetuate it. But they have done so from a position of like, what else do you want me to do? And it's an it's a reasonable question, you know, like not that, not that. <laughs> right. <laughs> but like it's sure. th- that doesn't mean there's an easy answer that's that's. Right. Going to, you know, follow up. Not that. I think that's so true. There's a number of things I want to uh, touch on there and also give Matthew a chance to. But I want to start with what you're saying at the beginning of all that about the way people die, because there was a TikTok I saw. And like this show is not for everyone. And I think that's totally fine. It's it's a lot slower. It's a lot more intense. There's not a lot of lights. There's no lightsabers. There's not a lot of pew pew. And if that's more what you want, I think that's totally respectful. But I saw someone saying that they were very unhappy with episode six because, you know, half the team died. Oh, three people at least died. And this person was saying they deserved more heroic deaths. You know, mm. they deserved the like grand moment where like one of them sacrifices themselves to let everyone get away or like something like that. Whereas instead they didn't get that. They just like one guy was running along the through the through the battle and got shot and someone else like fell across and then uh Nimic got you know hit with that thing and I, I had the exact same right to me I was like that that's a person who's still looking for the myth because mm-hmm. that's what I love about this is it's not people don't have grand deaths in war you know right. um one of my favorite parts of the end of Buffy the Vampire Slayer which a show has a lot of good and a lot of bad in it we can get into that some other episode but you know um uh Anya is that her yeah. Anya, the, the, yeah, the, the, the vengeance demon. demon, like she doesn't have a noble death. She just dies because when a thousand people are coming at you to attack you, like no matter how good you're fighting, some of them are going to get through. And then later, I think it's Xander asks or someone who saw her die gets asked by someone else. Like, did she at least die like doing something good? And he's like, yeah, she saved my life. Or mm, something. Right, right. Like, he, he makes a myth out of it because it didn't happen at all. It was just a random stupid thing because war and battles are random and stupid. Um, <laughs> There's so, yeah, a similar just, thing in the Serenity movie. That's that's like a very Joss Whedon thing among Yeah, others. yeah, definitely. Yeah. Definitely so. Well, Star Wars is really good at doing that, though. So it's totally reasonable mm-hmm. that somebody's expecting it. Um, right. When right. you were talking, I was thinking of the the little kids in the Last Jedi who um, have little action figures they've made so they can talk about Jedi Knight Luke Skywalker, and that's exactly oh, yeah. that's exactly what a lot of viewers want to see. Um, and you mm-hmm. cannot hold that against them even a little bit, right? Yeah, I think it's very fair. I mean, that's, those are the expectations that have been set, right? And now yep. it's here like, okay, we're doing something clearly different. Either you like it or you don't like it, you know, and that's fine. And maybe I feel like Andor's maybe a show that some people who love Star Wars are going to love. Some people who love Star Wars up to this point aren't going to love as much. And then some people who historically have not loved Star Wars are maybe eventually going to see and be like, oh, I like this. You know, yeah. and it should theoretically appeal to, to maybe 
a different, you know, overlapping set of people, but it's not yeah. targeted exactly the same way as, you know, the regular, you know, Star Wars um, Definitely. content. And I want to get to this episode itself, but let me just ask one more question uh, of, of Matthew, because you made that comment about Marxian economic, a, a Marxian analysis to the show. And I made a joke about communism, but I think clearly what you're getting at and that, that I think a lot of people don't really understand is that, like, Marx didn't create communism. Marx wasn't the people who took over Russia. Marx was a philosopher and a critic and an economist critiquing capitalism, but also critiquing all of the, like, methods of thinking and ways of understanding the world that that undergirded 19th century European industrial capitalism and, and their whole society. So what do you, what do you mean? Can you say a little bit more about what you mean in terms of like this show being Marxist in its perspective? Maybe I misspoke. Maybe I should have said it's Leninist. Um, Mm. um, It's, it's very much about revolution. Um, What is it? Nemec says, um, actually, um, he says, He says he wrote the role of mercenaries in the galactic struggle for freedom. And I was like, that sounds like Ho Chi Minh. Um, It sounds sounds like first we had to get rid of the French, then we had to get rid of the Americans. Um, The Vietnamese were constantly talking about the struggle for freedom. Um, And Ho Chi Minh wrote stuff like that all the time. Um, And I think they're... I don't want to say trafficking in those tropes, but I think they're utilizing those tropes. Um, but part of my and opinion, certainly, I know that. Um, certainly, I know that. Um, like the accelerationist kind of ideas that both that uh, Luthen especially have of like we need the oppression to get worse so that more people see it. That's straight out of Lenin's playbook. Yeah, that, it like, totally is. There, w- there was a significant movement that was trying to reform the czarist Russia and like make more freedoms. And he was like, no, 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 we can't have any part of that. It needs to get bad enough that everyone sees how bad it is. It's the difference between the Bolsheviks and the Mensheviks. Mensheviks, Mensheviks, yeah. Yeah. Um, Bolshevik means majority and Mankovic means minority, if I remember correctly. But yeah, no, Luthen is definitely that guy. Luthen is... mm he does not need to worry about his next meal, but he's happy to make other people worry about theirs if it will overthrow the galactic empire. Yeah. Right. And that, that that's maybe a good way to enter into this episode itself, because I thought the conversation between Luthen and Saw was so fascinating from that perspective, because Saw, I think, has a similar kind of perspective, but he is he and his people are suffering. They don't have the luxury that Luthen and, and Mon Mothma do. And I just thought their discussion – like every episode I feel like we're pulling back another layer of the onion of, of revolution. And that – like already the discussions between Luthen and Mon Mothma are interesting. But the way Saw called out Luthen and didn't want to work with him, uh, I think in, in one part because of the, uh, some of the stuff you're saying was just – it was one of my favorite parts of the episode. What, what was kind of your both take on, on that conversation? Paul, you go first. All right. Um, yeah, I think that conversation revealed a really important question when it comes to a revolution, mm-hmm. which is, are you just trying to overthrow the power structure that's currently in power? Or are you trying to build like what's next? Like, what are you, what's, right. what are your plans after that? 
you know, and sort of are we allies in this struggle against this one thing and then we might be enemies tomorrow once we overthrow it? Or, you know, are you are you trying to kind of like build the same thing? And, um, you know, you were saying that that Luthen is this very Leninist, right? Um, and he but he calls um, he calls Saul like an anarchist, right? Mm-hmm. I think and mm-hmm. yeah he does. oh it's interesting yeah that I didn't even picked up that in the yeah the communist the the Bolsheviks and the anarchists that was one of the primary conflicts yeah and I mean I think especially like in the Spanish Civil War right there was like a more dominant anarchist faction than in a lot of other revolutions and I I think my understanding is that a lot of the you know communist activities were not active but like was was very in opposition to the anarchists as well as the fascists. And instead of like kind of teaming up and being like, we'll figure it out later. Let's just make sure these fascists stop fascisting, you know? Well, it it, it was, we let's team up and worry about it later. And then the communists decided to worry about it later without telling the anarchists and just stab them in the back. Right, right, right. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. And that's, you know, that's the danger of like when you're not ideologically aligned or when your goals aren't truly aligned, right? When there's just some, right specific goal like oh let's steal this money and then it's like oh but i actually want it for me i understand you want to fund your revolution but like how about i just take all of it or half of it you know and it's like that's it's it's tough right i mean it's like there's not necessarily an easy answer like you might not have enough people aligned directly with your vision to be like oh just we're just going to do it ourselves you know and so this seems like it's kind of that struggle for can you all line up on the same side long enough to take care of the one thing? But if like, if your vision for the future is very different, because like Saul was not happy before the empire was the empire. Right. Yeah. Like he, he hated the separatists. Right. And I think that's a, you know, Saul and, and Cassian both suffered under the, the previous struggles, you know, the pre like, and or on under the, you know, the, or Casa, I think, was his name. Then I think Andor was acquired later, right? Um, I think, um, you know, he suffered under the Republic. So he doesn't see this like, oh, let's just turn back the clock and everything will be great, right? We'll just we'll just roll back this imperial overreach and everything will be fine. No, like things weren't fine for him before. Mm-hmm. So he doesn't see that as like a worthwhile goal. He's, although maybe now, maybe now he's changed his mind a little bit now that he's playing the floor is lava. Yeah. <laughs> well, you can you can totally contrast Saw's whole like little speech there with um, Nemec's little speech about what he wrote last night because they're right. the two opposite ends. Yeah. Um, and Saw Saw is being the ideological purist, and he's not going to fight with anybody who doesn't agree with him completely, which is right. how you lose. Um, and and Nemec's whole thing was how do we, what is the role of mercenaries in the galactic struggle for freedom is right. they're a tool and we use every tool available to us, yeah. which is the what, exact I, opposite ideology. I obviously we can't get this now, but I hope we have someone at some point, maybe in the second twelve episodes, you know, someone who has the Nemec kind of perspective and then saw or someone who has his perspective. Talking about what's Mon Mothma's role in all this. Uh-huh. Mm. Because often the idealists are like, no, we don't need people having all the luxuries of being in the system and saying that they're using the system because, it, you know, some might will say, no, you're supporting the system. We need to tear all that down. All senators are evil, right. even the ones who are supporting us. And I think Nemec would be like, no, we need, she's a tool and Saul's a tool and they're all tools. But it's like, well, 
Namek would probably say that I'm the one who gets to decide what tools we need and how and who wants to be a tool who wants to be the ones using the tool and who wants to rescue me from this metaphor that I keep getting deeper and deeper into by cutting well, me off. Right, right now, right point. now, right now, Mon Mothma <laughs> is the Menshevik. Um, she's the, we yeah, can reform, yeah. we can reform czarist Russia. We just have to reform it. Um, and she, right. and we, the thing we get with her is we're going to see her because we know where she ends up in other shows. Um, we're going to see her get rid of that belief system. Right. right. She's going to go, do nope, we, I, I, we can't reform it. We have to end it. And we, Do we, we know that, that she coming. actually believes that it can be reformed or that she thinks that she can make somewhat of a difference within the Senate, like at least kind of sort of making things I, not get worse as fat? Like, I, I don't I don't totally believe that she believes that like, oh, we can just like handle things politically and like then it'll become a republic mm -hmm. again. I, I think my impression is that she believes in a rebellion, that she believes there needs to be some sort of um, overthrow of the imperial power. But then that mm -hmm. should be replaced with like a new republic where the senators again are like, OK, now we have democracy and, you know, um, I'll be right. safe in my cushy upper class life. But like. But also that she is very anti-accelerationist. Is that like a decel? Is she a decelerationist? Is that a thing? Um, <laughs> like basically, what she wants to do is she she thinks in the Senate, what she can do is she can kind of reduce the damage that the Empire is doing while they're kind right. of plotting their little their rebellion. And Luthen's like, no, if you like doing that is actually contra counter to our purpose because when you do that then like people are like oh okay maybe the system will work maybe things will get better and so right. i think they both believe that some amount of rebellion is necessary i'm not sure that i don't think they've like yeah. explicitly addressed this but that's my feeling um but like that she like in the process of it she wants it to go slow and like try and make sure that the empire does less damage and luthan's like no let them do the damage now so that the people will so that we'll have the people on our side basically so so is she the traditional marx character and he's the lenin perhaps you know, this yeah. this change will happen naturally, and we just have to keep people from starving in the meantime. Versus, right, right. You know, we have to foment revolution. Yeah, yeah. I, mean, I think it's an interesting question. I think like that specific one, I think, is very a very good analogy, especially throwing in my favorite part of it. You know, Stalin raised money for the Stalin came mm. to prominence by raising money for the revolution by robbing things, mm -hmm. and so the whole robbery aspect of that fits well into it. But but you see this in so many revolutionary movements, you know, like um, the, the gay pride movement became split between the kind of we want to show that two men can have a white picket fence, too, versus like the queer pride tear down heteronormativity or like, you know, all the groups fighting against the British in the American colonies. They certainly didn't have a one. You know, some of them were like, cool, we're fighting for freedom for everyone, including all the slaves. And then the southern colonies are like, no, 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 that's that's not what we're doing here. Um, you, you talked about Vietnam, North Vietnam and South Vietnam were at some point pretty unified in fighting the French. And it's only then once the uh, the question is, OK, so what do we do with Vietnam now? Does it become a Western style democracy or does it become a uh, communist? And then the fighting kind of broke out. Same same with uh, Korea being fairly unified on a fighting against the Chinese and then the communists. So, yeah, it, it's what I'm loving so much that they're making the story very much based in this particular world. And you don't need to know any of this stuff to understand what's happening in this. But it's also a it is completely believable because we've seen these kind of dynamics happen in our own world all over the place.
Yeah. And, and these are perspectives brought by people, you know? Right. Like, these aren't... It doesn't feel like a character's like, oh, this is a Lenin cutout, and we're just going to insert him into our thing. It's like, this is a person who who represents that viewpoint, perhaps, right? Or right. has that viewpoint. But, like, we're still going to make a character who's a person. And right. between the dialogue, the way it's written, you know, and, and the, the way the acting, you know, the way it's portrayed, like, it... It doesn't feel to me like sometimes you get these sort of like, I don't know, these things where it's like clearly the authors want to like put certain like philosophical words and phrases into their script. And mm -hmm. and then everything else is kind of like puttied in around that. And here it feels like they've I mean, obviously, they probably had some of that that they had an idea of. And they're like, how do I work that in or whatever? But like, it very much feels like it's coming organically from the characters, you know, and, and to me, that's, that's just, um, I don't know. It's, it's, I think it's better in terms of the filmmaking and just the ability for me anyway, to just enjoy the story. But also I think yeah. if your goal is to expose people to ideas I think if you can kind of like slip it in with their serial, you know, as opposed to like being like, this is the point of the show. And oh, by the way, we'll we'll have some other things for you to look at. Like, yeah, it it, it just feels more natural. And I feel like people are going to engage with it differently. I don't know. I guess I guess we'll see or we won't really see, but we can mm -hmm. hypothesize. Totally agree with you, Paul. And just to add to that, I think one of the best parts is that we have these characters who have very different perspectives on what revolution should be between Mon Mothma, Luthien, Saw, and, and Andor to some extent. None of them are being portrayed as the right. All of them are just different positions that people have. And we, we as the audience are being yeah. told, like, Saw is right, Luthien's wrong. Right, right. There's um, no clear, this is what you're supposed to think. It's like, go ahead yeah. think what you will. Here are yeah. some ideas. Uh, it feels like it's time for a long tangent. Matthew, can you help us out there? <laughs> yeah, so there's this great movie. Um, so, uh, you know, I didn't know much about Tony Gilroy, and the two of you in previous episodes had been talking occasionally about his work in the Bourne movies, um, which are mm -hmm. really well-done movies. Um, but I don't know if either one of you has ever seen it. It's a relatively old movie now, but the movie that he made his name on is called Michael Clayton. It's from mm. like 2007. It's the movie yeah. that Tilda Swinton gets her Oscar for. Um, and um, I had never watched it because it's a George Clooney movie, um, <laughs> which is not a bad thing. I just I don't like rush out and see George Clooney movies. But I watched it in bed the other night. Um, and let me tell you what this movie is about. So there's this guy who thinks he's a good guy, but he's really not a good guy who's definitely in debt. Um, and the movie is going to be about whether or not he's actually going to be a good guy or not, as he struggles to think about his debt. Um, and every character in the film is influenced and very much a character by the way in which money and capitalism has influenced their life. So Tilda Swinton's character is horrible, but she does not know she's horrible. At least she thinks she's doing her job in the bureaucracy. Um, right. George Clooney's character works for a law firm, um, his uh, boss at the law firm goes off his meds and starts behaving erratically. Um, and he does this because he realizes they've been representing the bad guys, the pharmaceutical company. Um, mm. um, and every single character is negatively influenced in one way or another by by 
the capitalist system that they work in, though nobody ever mentions it. Um, mm -hmm. And you don't know until like the last 20 seconds that George Clooney has actually changed his mind about being selfish. Um, and it is, mm -hmm. it's a, it's a modern classic. I was so overwhelmed, but it's also, it's also Andor. I mean, George Clooney yeah. is very much going, he starts out just like the same, like the Clooney character. He's very much like, I, I can, I just know one, one good day and I can pay off all my friends right. and get out of debt. Um, and I just know that everything will be fine then. Um, and we'll get to see his progression. Um, Michael Clayton has been called an anti-action film um, in that nothing <laughs> nothing happens. But the beauty of it is nothing happens and it is really suspenseful the whole time. Yeah. The same way this show is. Um, and I think mm -hmm. I, I think you can I would strongly encourage people to go watch Michael Clayton, which is free on Pluto, I think is where I watched it. Because um, that's it a long is commute. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it was like the same thing. <laughs> But um, ching, um, yeah. <laughs> but um, it's it is it is very mu it's much more influential in my understanding of Andor now than the Bourne movies are. I don't think the Bourne movies are nearly as um, there. Um, but one thing both the Bourne movies and Michael Clayton do, um, which we're, you both have been talking about now in Andor, is every character is an actual human being character. Yeah. Um, and, and they do that really well. There's no like just some schmuck in the corner who has to say three things and walk away. Um, right. Right. Every single I do wish some of them were. Go. I do wish some of them were not humans. Like I noticed again in the prison that it's like almost entirely oh, humans. Yeah. But I think that's very they're, intentional. They're, yeah. For sure. Yeah. I could get in some of the stuff. No, but I think that's fascinating. And you're right, because I thought one of the most striking scenes was, you know, Andor being convinced that if he raises the money, if he gets this money, he can go back and if he. He, all these people are mad at him, and what he hears is, I'm mad at you because you cost me money. Mm -hmm. Really, they're mad at him because they he betrayed them in some way or another, and it did cost them money, but it's the, like, you know, going back on his word or not paying them back when he said they would or whatever. And, like, money alone is clearly not going to be enough to, to buy that. Yeah. So, or they feel yeah, he so, betrayed them, and he's like, no, I just I just couldn't pay it back yet. Like, I'll, I'll, right. I, I got you. I got you. Like, you know, he's not – Yeah. He's not like a con artist. He's a hustler, you know? Yeah. He's, he's not like trying to borrow someone from them so he can not pay them back. He's just like trying to hustle and then like, oh, I'll, I'll get you later. No, no, no. This next thing. This next yeah. thing. I'll, 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 be, I'll be there. Yeah. He, he cons himself. Yeah, yeah, He honestly yeah. always believes he's going to do it. Exactly. Despite all evidence. That comes right, right, right. There's no reasonable, you know, <laughs> mm -hmm. expectation. Yeah, that's a great point. I'll definitely want to watch out. that movie. Yeah, yeah, um, me too. Thank you for the recommendation. Oh, it it is so beautiful. Um, and Clooney's Clooney's brother in the film is a, a is an addict, and Clooney's character is a gambling addict. Mm -hmm. um, and their oh. ability to talk about uh, very subtly how addiction changes the way you talk about things, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. like. No, no, no. Just give me the 20 bucks now so I can go yeah. buy a uh -huh. pint. Um, but I promise you I'll be fine. Um, is is so much central to the Andor character. I think it's ridiculous. Yeah, I can see that. I can see that. So let's get back into this episode itself. Um, so we had back stuff into with... it, like into it for the first time, right? <laughs> we, we, we talked to him about the saw. The saw. OK, OK. Uh, we talked a little about the last scene. Fair enough. Exactly. <laughs> it's, it's only been so, 35 minutes. 
look, with the three of us, this is what I expected. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But what what did the three of you all think of this kind of episode overall? I overall I liked it a lot. I thought the um you know the I don't want to call it a prison. It's a it's a work camp. It's a labor camp, mm-hmm. really, right? Um it's a murderous labor camp. And I thought that and the juxtaposition between that and Mon Mothma at this, you know, fancy party and like, you know, I mean, that doesn't look fun to me either. Right. But like, <laughs> it certainly looks a lot more comfortable, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I thought that that was excellent. There were a couple things that kind of didn't ring totally true to me. Um that I'll maybe get to, but overall, yeah, like I didn't mind that there wasn't like plots like happening. It was like this was yeah. to me, it was like exploring the characters further and um, establishing a setting. Like I think if Andor had gotten into and out of prison in this one episode, it would not have like made any sense, right? It would have it would have not mm-hmm. fit with this show. Uh, I don't know how they're going to get him out of there. I know that they are because I've seen Rogue One, but um, <laughs> I like I don't want the rest of the season to be just this grueling over and over same same thing, right? Like I'm like, mm-hmm. all right, I've spent enough time watching that. <laughs> now we can you know whatever's next, please please soon, you know. But on the other hand, like I I do feel like. They just continue to take their time. They continue to develop characters. They continue to show like like even these characters in the in the work camp, right? Are like mm-hmm. they feel like people even though they've like really said very little. You know, like somehow it just they there there are like you could see like slightly different attitudes with the people at the the table that he works at right and like different mm-hmm. attitudes towards him towards like recognizing each other as people towards the potential of ever getting out or not you know um so yeah i i just thought it was a very effective episode that was clearly like trying to do something without like having people do a lot of things I will agree with everything you said. Um, I think the contrast was really important, but I, I think it was just a complete setup episode. Um, I, when it was over, yes. I turned to my wife and I said that was a setup episode. And she said, yeah, and it was still great. And I was like, yeah, right. okay, it was yeah. still great. Um, but, <laughs> it, but it was completely a setup episode. Um, it, but it also emphasized a couple of things that we kind of hinted at. Um, the fact that everybody in that labor camp is a human seems like it should be a problem um Mm. but at the same time you can tell that they're doing it not because of budgetary issues um if everybody's human it feels much more grounded to right yeah to viewers um i i also appreciated um you'll remember that the night in um the labor camp um his first night in the hallway that can kill you um Somebody steps right up to him and explains the whole system. That person right. will be on the ground um, at the end of Rogue One. Um, it's mm. one of the characters who's like, "We've got to get the signal through the shield. You've got to do oh. this." It's one oh, of the soldiers. Yeah. I up on that. I didn't either. I, it came through my feed. Wow. And I was like, "Oh wow, that's yeah, awesome. That's great. Yeah. Right? That's yeah." Um, so 
it's also doing the like here's an Easter egg for you, but doing it in like sly little ways that I appreciated. Yeah. The thing I'm still struggling with is how much of the contrast is really not a contrast between like as Paul said between the really horrible dinner party and the really horrible work camp um, because right. it's not necessarily a contrast. It's kind of right. like here's two ends of the same revolution. Yeah. I mean, I, I think if Mothma talked to the prisoners and said, look, I'm suffering just as much as you are, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it yeah. would not go well. No. But you're right. It is definitely like it, not even just for like if you have social anxiety, the party looks like hell. But just, yeah, she's she's having I mean, she's she, living this like fake life 90 yeah. percent of the time, you know, in terms of the light and having to be so careful. And I think I think, yeah, everything about. I understand the people who want to move forward faster, 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 but like. You know, in a different part of my life, I've been watching all of the MCU Disney Plus shows. And in most cases, I've been frustrated with how fast things were going. You know, Falcon and Winter Soldier, I thought had so much potential. Yeah. The ending had a lot of problems. We can talk about how COVID interacted with that. But, like, if we'd had one episode really just to sit with the was it the flag Yori? burners. Oh, the, the, the fl- flag smashers. Flag smashers, yeah. Which How do you smash cloth? cloth you know? yeah. yeah, anyway. Anyway, the point being, like, um, that group needed so much more time just to be with them mm. you know not seeing them do things just hearing them out seeing um bucky like yeah sitting with yoshi or with some of the other characters like just being and so i'm loving this i feel like we're really getting to take our time and just explore this world you know instead of like bad batch i thought did a fun job of like signposting like oh hey look here's a five second scene that tells you what's happening in this moment but now we're going to go back to our characters and like the stuff they're doing and like no this is letting you like just sit in a prison for 30 minutes on screen that as you said paul is not pleasant tv watching right but i think was super effective um i mean there were so many scenes in that prison that were just like oof that that that's our character system today right um but but also just like yeah tell that tells me so much about the empire um, um yeah I, I just i'm very impressed by it um did either one of you um look at the prison and think of the clone wars episode where obi-wan changes his fakes his own death to go to a prison and find a mm. um i think i think they're the same uniforms that they wore in that prison in that episode mm. um which is interesting cuz that's a republic run yeah. prison yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. no. so I the mean, empire I, might I have could very made well it. be wrong, but it felt very much yeah. like the exact same place when it came on, and that's probably very intentional. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they're being so like one thing I only realized recently is that the the head overall of the ISB um, is a care is the first time we've seen him on live action, or at least in this iteration. Um, but for those people who remember the Clone Wars and to some extent Rebels, uh, it's Admiral Yularen. Or Colonel, I think it, I think he becomes an admiral. But the um, it's Yularen being the the primary Republic officer who interacted with Anakin in his battalion and who was constantly like talking to Obi Wan about why I have to deal with this ridiculous Jedi. Yeah, um, and, who, and who will and, die on the first Death Star? Uh, exactly. Spoiler alert. Right. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Spoilers for. <laughs> or did he evacuate <laughs> when when no. Tarkin didn't? Uh, that would be cool. <laughs> Right, mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know. That, that's that's the next series, Star Trek. You learn, <laughs> right? Yeah, <laughs> Star Wars. Star Wars. Yeah, one. Sorry, yeah. He, is, he escapes from the Death Star the on the Enterprise. He's... Yeah. 
Which is faster, hyperdrive or warp speed? But we have now fulfilled our um, quota of Star Wars, Star Trek, uh, you know. Crossover, crossover. One particular moment in the prison that hit me really hard was when, you know, there's this new system that's been put in place that is making things even worse. Uh, it allows them to kind of just automatically, like, add days to someone's sentence or, like, restart their clock or something. And they have a name for it. It's an acronym that begins with P, I believe. I'm sorry I didn't write it down. But they're all convinced that, like, people on the outside will hear about this and will start to get upset and right. will start to be like, oh, that's that's wrong. You can't treat them that badly. And so they ask Andor about it. And granted, I don't I don't think of Andor as someone who reads, like, Galaxy Today. You know, he, he doesn't have his finger on the pulse of things by any means. But the fact that he has just not heard a word of what they're talking about. And you figure, like, someone like Bix would have heard about it and complained about it to him. And he'd, like, at least pick that up. The fact that he knows nothing about it to me is so and, – and how deflated they immediately get when that happens. Yeah. Like, that felt so real and so, like, of course – this is one of their signs of like, it's not even that you're suffering this horrible way. It's that no one knows mm-hmm. and no one cares. Yeah. I mean, it's hard to care when you don't know. Right. right. And it's like, I think that's there's there's two things there. Like one, just the empire isn't necessarily trying to make sure everybody's thinking about its atrocities. Right. And then the other one is like people in their day to day lives, like don't generally enjoy spending a lot of time thinking about atrocities. And so people have a tendency to kind of, you know, shield themselves, you know, from... Kendall Jenner's getting married again. I need to look at her dresses. Like... (laughs) Right, right. I don't know if she's actually getting married, but that's... Yeah, it's that kind of thinking of like, okay, well, I can watch this three-minute TikTok (laughs) of all the details. Who's getting married again? I don't... I did not... Kendall I, I, Jenner is – did I say Kendall Kardashian? I, oh, is I, it a Kardashian? I did, I, okay, never mind. Yeah. I yeah, didn't, I'm, yeah I'm, I, I'm like – I'm 712 years old. So, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, I, I think we're close in age. I just I, – I have proven that I'm more pop culture relevant knowledge. Were, which were you about to talk about a, a three-minute TikTok self- explaining all the details about something? Yeah. Okay. Pr- proceed. Go. Okay. <laughs> well, no, but that's my point is like on TikTok, I think a lot of folks do this and I admit I will do it sometimes too. I'll see a TikTok that's like, okay, here's the update on what's happening in Iran or in the right. situation where like I already have a general idea of it and I'm like, you know, when I'm feeling like I'm ready for it and I'm virtuous, I'll listen to all three minutes and other times I'll – Click like and scroll on the next thing. It's like, I don't want to sit there through all the agonizing details of a horrible situation. I just want to float the idea that the whole three minutes, (laughs) I'm I'm not judging you. I'm judging the three minutes as being insufficient to convey all the details about literally anything. Also true. Anyway, proceed. TikTok completely warps your brain and your idea of like what... Is or is not. You're like, that's three times as long as a normal talk. <laughs> like, what the heck? And I literally just posted a three-minute TikTok right before being yeah. That's 30 so. times as long as a Vine. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's not a thing anymore, right? <laughs> no one's heard of Vine. Uh, lots what? of people have heard You've of ne- Vine. What? But, oh, okay. Lot, but some of our audience hasn't. Anyway, so what else about this? Dig me out of the hole. What, what other parts of the episode kind of struck you, either uh, positive or if you want to start bringing up some of the things that uh, you didn't love? I just want to touch on that everything is human thing very briefly. Um, Mm -hmm. I understand that. I I do think that they've deliberately shied away from non-humans in order to make it feel more kind of more like a relatable corollary to our world. I believe that Mm -hmm. in this specific in the prison, 
I don't find it's a storytelling problem at all because the Empire has sorted these people, mm. right? And so yeah. if they want seven people at each table and then seven tables in each thing and then seven layers and blah, 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 and it's all got to work like clockwork and they're having them compete against each other, I think it's very reasonable. I mean – ruthless and yeah. cruel and disgusting but like reasonable to say okay we're just going to take humans to do that right and we'll yeah, take these we... non-humans and, and put them somewhere else and have them do some other tasks that maybe they're more directly suited towards we saw all these other like little island prisons in the sea as it was coming in yeah, yeah maybe the twilight one is like three down and you know you know the the one for like insectoid creatures has totally totally built differently right like, maybe when you're building these things, you don't want people to have headtails that might get caught in the machinery or something. Not because you're looking out for them, but because that's a waste of, you know, your... Yeah, it's going to break the machine. Like, exactly. <laughs> anyway, yeah, that, was, time, that was just my little thing on this. Yeah, I feel like Tony Gilroy is aiming for white working class as kind of the, the feel there. But mm. um, if it was going to really feel like our contemporary prison system, there should be lots of the other in it. Um, and so, it was a lot of white oh. guys. Yeah, I mean, I thought it was like fairly racially diverse, but like I, I did notice that the very first shot when they're going into the prison was like a black guy. Yeah. And I think that was deliberate. I think that yeah. was deliberate yeah. to be like, this is how a prison looks in our world or this is how people, yeah. you know, because obviously, you know, the, yeah. you know. And, and I think all this comes down to – we talked more about this on the episode that uh, AJ Starkiller was on, but I'll just kind of rehash it a bit quickly because he, he, he kind of made me rethink about it more than I hadn't really thought mm -hmm. of it before. Like so much of the original idea of Star Wars was this kind of thought of like, well, no one cares if you're like white, black, brown, you know, if you're human because now racism is against the people with the head tails or the people right, with right. green skin. And what Andor was kind of introducing is like, well, yeah, but even in a world where people are like, oh, Twi'leks are weird or Gamorreans are weird or whatever, they're also like, oh, but that Cassian guy, he's got a weird accent. Right. He's browner skin than others. And that that I, I do I, think that like having it mostly be um, human allows for that to stand out more. Yeah. I just want to contest the notion that like Diego Luna has like browner skin than like – like Yeah. I, I, I think he's basic – like – I'm not I'm not trying to say, oh, he's not Mexican, he's not Latino. Mm -hmm. Like I'm saying I think he is of almost entirely European descent, I think is my understanding. And like mm -hmm. he definitely like we're basically the same shade. Like, and I think the discrimination that he would face is largely gonna be based on language and nationality and um and, and so and I, I think this is something that like I didn't understand about Mexico until like I started watching you know, Mexican shows like in my thirties or whatever, you know, right. like, was that like, Oh, there's, there's, there's a lot of racism there too, you know? And that's like oh, something yeah. that I didn't understand at all. And, um, I'm just saying like, I, I think like visually, like racially in terms of like genetics or whatever, like, you know, he's probably like mostly Spanish. And I, th I think there's some other, like, I don't know. I was, re but just like, I think the perception of him as like looking mm -hmm. not white, I think, actually is heavily predicated on one his accent and like two like his sideburns or whatever like if yeah. he like had a buzz cut like i i don't think anyone would be like until he starts speaking would right. would have an opinion in that regard you, you may well be right i 
I'm trying really hard not to say the words I don't see color because, like, obviously I'm very aware yeah. of color racial distinctions. I just have very bad eyes. <laughs> so, yeah, like, it's yeah, very yeah, possible yeah. that, yeah. like, I am filling in some of that with just, like, the knowledge of, of how I think of them. But, yeah, either way, I think that but that's the point. It's just, like, that all human thing. But, yeah, thank you for that. That is important. Uh, you know, I think, well. yeah, if, if you – I think Paul's right. If you were to, like, take just a picture with no context and show it to the Grand Dragon of the KKK, that guy would go, yeah, he's okay. Right, 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 right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's interesting because I'm also looking now at a couple of pictures of him and like depending on the lighting, I, I, I would say agree with you in some and, and disagree with you in others. And that, yeah, that's a whole and, other question. And, and that, that is yeah, an entire commentary about how we look at race in America, isn't it? Yeah. For sure, for sure. Uh, yeah, and his mom so. was a British costume designer of Scottish and English descent. So like mm -hmm. that – yeah. And, and, and the point wasn't to get on you about it. It was – that's right. – I think the – like the social constructs that right. we are surrounded by, I think, can sort and, of hit people differently, and, you know. And that also makes sense because certainly I think and, – and this may not be true and I'm, I'm very open to seeing if we see it. In terms of like some of the black characters who are in the imperial bureaucracy, mm -hmm. their race hasn't seemed to matter. So, yeah, it may well be that it's the, it's the accent and the way of speaking and, and appearance that marks him more as an outsider. Um, it's about, as a white person, it's about as much as I feel like I can say on that topic, but I, I definitely uh, understand where you're coming from there. Um, I'm going to take that out. It's not bad. But, but yeah, so I definitely, I definitely appreciate you kind of bringing that up. Um, Paul, I know there are some things about the episode that you didn't like fully click for you. And I think especially after talking to you, talking to you a bit, I, I'm kind of agreeing. But go, go ahead and talk about some of that. Yeah. So there's, there's two scenes slash kind of things going on that just feel unconvincing to me, right? Mm -hmm. One is Luthen and um jeez, what is her name? She has a name. I'm I'm getting her name. Oh, her his assistant? Yeah. Possible best friend, possible romantic partner. Slash maybe daughter, like I I don't yeah. I don't know. We don't uh we don't know a lot a about a connection her. that seems beyond employer employee and a includes colleague. some degree of co-conspirator yeah. Clea. Clea, thank you. So the Luthen and Clea basically cutting off Ferrix, like tying it off basically, and um and like being on this mission to like hunt down and, and kill Andor, it just it I don't quite buy it. You know, um, it just mm -hmm. it just doesn't 100 percent work for me. And I don't know how much of that is like my own sympathy towards Andor and like sort of wanting to see these people as more of like um, people who are trying to accomplish something good. And how much of it is like my just thinking like I, I don't that doesn't it just doesn't feel very rational to me. And it feels to me like they are trying to be like hyper rational and and like it, it just feels a little bit like it's maybe geared more towards setting up a particular conflict than being fully um, like organically motivated by character. But I, th I think there's a chance that that's just like maybe these characters just aren't exactly who I want them to be. Um, and why don't we talk about that one and then I'll talk about the other one because I think that sure. there's some thoughts here. Can I can I ask you a question then, Paul? Yes. Um, um, is it possible that um, part of the problem with that exact moment is it doesn't feel like it's a very good move for revolutionaries to like get rid of possible other revolutionaries? Hundred percent. It, it, like it seems like a bad yes. move. 
Yeah. That is the entirety of it for me, is that it's just like, yeah. that's not how you build a rebel alliance. And Luthen seems to me like someone who is attempting to build a rebel alliance. He's going to talk to Saw. to right. Like, if that's how you are, like, are you the person who's going to talk to Saw and talk to Mon Mothma and talk to Bix? And it just, it, yeah, it, it just doesn't, it, you said it right and i don't know why i'm still talking <laughs> but yes <laughs> well and yeah i think that i think that highlights a bit because there's a part of me that is just frustrated because i think it's dumb but i also know that it happens all the time right you know i mean we've talked like lenin and stalin certainly assassinated a lot of the the sort of other anti-czarist but not communist revolutionaries mm -hmm. there's a lot of think idea that that uh they uh killed uh trotsky yeah. uh but and certainly that happens in all other, i mean just look at how right now on the left we eat our young all the time and often over like some really legitimate conflicts i mean we're not killing each other but you know um the, the you know all that kind of stuff and it happens in rebel movements all the time right i think for me though I'm frustrated because I think there's a couple of different reasons why he might be doing it, and I don't know which it is, and mm. so I wish I knew more. And like, because one of it could be that this was always his plan, that he was going to talk Andor into right. it, and maybe if Andor like decided to sign up, great. But he always had it in the back of his mind of, okay, no, if it doesn't go right, I'll kill Andor. It may be that like he, they're spooked because actually Imperial security is looking into this more and i feel like they haven't but, earned that yeah. like if they'd given me a scene where it's sure. him talking about how look we always plan to kill him that would answer that question if they give us a scene where like an isb agent comes to the store and it freaks them out and so they're like let's cut all ties that would make sense if it's someone else someone like saw is like you got to kill him and and he's like right. okay maybe maybe not but i feel like because because I guess I, I hear what you're saying. And I think it doesn't seem like the rational thing for Luthen to do. It seems like the kind of thing he would do if he had a particular reason mm -hmm. that would make him want to do something irrational, but that seemed rational to him because that's what all the characters are doing. Right. That's the whole point. Yeah. But I agree with you. Without seeing that, it's a little harder to take. Yeah, I feel and, like what they're trying to give us is that because we were speculating when we when we saw it the first time, right, in episode seven, right. I believe, um, that was it actually his directive or was that Clea's idea, right? Right. And I think what they're giving us is that he's the one ostensibly, like, in charge, but Clea is like, but this is what we should do. And right. she's like, tell she's like, tell me to to cut it off or tell them, you know, not not answer it basically right when when bix is trying to contact her so because that's beyond just killing andor that's now shutting down the entire network on that planet. yeah exactly it's shutting down that cell essentially right um mm -hmm. even if it's not like a full actual rebel cell at this point um maybe i think the implication is that she was the one who's like look you were sloppy with this andor character we have to take care of it. And he's like, uh, that's not really what I want to do, but I guess you're right. It's like, but I gave him my, my Kyber crystal, you know, like he, <laughs> like, what's up with that? Like, why would you give that if then your plan was just to kill this person? Unless it's like a tracker that, yeah. you know, <laughs> then, then that would make some sense, I guess. But like, yeah. So, so I feel like that's maybe the implication, but I feel like they didn't quite give us enough for me to feel like, Okay, okay, I can I can buy that. It it just still feels a little not quite 
there for me. I think I if there's anything they've implied, it's that he thought Mon Mothma would be much more on board with what they were doing. Yes. And so maybe what we're supposed to think is that her having such a negative reaction is him being like, okay, well, I wanted Andor because that's the way we ramp up these, like, attacks. Maybe we need to shut all that down, so... But he clearly doesn't uh, actually want to shut all that down, right? Right, yeah. yeah. So it's... what? What's your take on it, Matthew? No, I, I just completely and totally agree with the way Paul is putting it, you know? It, it's, mm-hmm. it was one of those very, very few moments where it, it felt forced for plot reasons um but but i think there's a good chance in the next couple of episodes we're gonna get it reworked for us so that it does make Mm -hmm. sense yeah i I think that's fair and like i'm definitely willing to give this show the benefit of the doubt because i feel like a moment like this wouldn't even stick out to me on another show because just like every moment feels like that on a lot of shows, you know, everything feels yeah. like, oh, these characters are saying the things they're saying because it's how the writer wants to move the story forward. And here, yeah, this and this other thing kind of stick out to me a bit because I just feel like so much of it has been just like just flawless in terms of like, no, these are just people making people decisions and you get what you get kind yeah. of. The vinegar in this one small condiment on the on the plate is a little bit off. <laughs> everything else, so it stands out. Everything else is so good. So there's there's I, one other condiment with a slightly. Well, let no, me just ahead. say the first yeah. thing about this this one is that I did love that we got to see that Val and Centra back together. Yes. Um, and also more again, like at some point, just let them kiss, but like more indication that they're a couple in some way. Um, and I did buy that, like especially because Centra didn't spend as much time with him, that like she is the one who's a little bit more. We follow orders. We don't question them. And Val is a little more like, well, but this this kind of seems wrong. Yeah. I'm gonna be real mad if one of those two winds up killing the other because like. Oh, <laughs> let let there be happy gays somewhere in space, please. Um, but like, yeah, I, I I do think that's also a nice thing of seeing that like, yeah, the orders are coming down from on high, but the the soldiers are not quite sure how they feel about it, you know? Because yeah. again, I think that's very much a part of, of of any kind of military structure, but especially revolutions where you can't just like openly talk about the goals and everything because everything has to be super secret and hush hush, or else one person give everything away. Yeah. I really enjoyed in their actor in their interaction, Sintra saying, or Sinta, sorry, Sintra is like a character in something else, right? Or it's a place. I don't know. Um, anyway, Sinta saying, you know, you know the the struggle comes first, right? You knew that. Like I said that right from the get go. Like basically anything. We'll take whatever we have left, basically, right? But like, right. it's it's about the struggle first, and um, and so I, I really enjoyed their interaction, and it just felt very, it felt nuanced. Like when she was like something about a, a rich, you know, I could just say I'm a, a rich girl running away from her parents. It's like, oh, now we know Vel's backstory, you know, yeah. Without them actually telling us this is Vel's backstory, you know, it's to me it's so much more effective than Vel like explaining, you know, sort of, oh well, this was my upbringing and blah blah blah. Like before the robbery, it's like no, this is Sinta kind of like, you know, s- sticking a, a knife and kind of like twisting it a little bit. You know, she's like, oh, that's low, and and, and that I don't know. I think that's a really interesting clever and like subtle way of like introducing someone's backstory or alluding to it without like doing a lot you know it's like it functions right. in the story in this other way um but then we get that there and the fact that she uses the struggle is yet another 
subtle yeah. comment about Marxianism, right? Yeah. Yeah, because I mean, it's highlighting, and this was true in revolutionary France and revolutionary Russia, and very much on the internet today. You know, the difference between <laughs> those people who have studied oppression and learned about all the fancy terms to describe it, and those people who are experiencing it. And it's not like a demarcation. You can be, you can have lots of both. But like the fact that we have both in like Mon and Luthen and and a little bit Tavel, yeah. and certainly with Nayek, um, Nemec, like. Yeah. Nemec, thank you. You know, characters who have a more kind of academic understanding of things, you know, and and then and I think that's kind of, you know, um, uh, you know, some of the other perspectives. Because I think, yeah, yeah that, that is like Sintra a bit, a bit pushing the, the privilege button, you know, and I think it's probably a legit button to push in that moment. But it's um, it, it's interesting how, again, it, it, but it doesn't feel like it's over the top. It doesn't feel like someone's like, stop the show. We're going to make a comment on privilege and online discourse yeah, yeah. in the United States today. It's just like. Yeah, these are the kind of conflicts that happen because people – one of my favorite kind of activist leaders is a woman named Loretta Ross who comes from uh, the reproductive justice uh, movement. She really coined that term in terms mm-hmm. of like moving beyond pro-choice and really especially talking about how like the, you know, the pro-choice movement has often been a movement of like white women and wanting to include voices of people of color and queer voices and all sorts of different things like that. And, and one of her favorite sayings is that – a number of people moving in the same direction for different reasons is a movement. Right. A number of people all moving in the same direction for the same reason is a cult. Um, and, I really, and, she, and she talked a lot about how, like, it's good that we have different people who are part of this because their oppression comes from different places mm-hmm. or the reaction to oppression comes in different ways. We still have to all be moving in the same direction, and that requires a lot of praxis of figuring out where we all stand. But, like, if it's everyone the same, like, that's that's not a broad movement. Yeah, I, I I think that's a great thought. Um, I, I I'm a little on the on the the, the cult thing. I'm like eh, I don't know. I mean, you you can actually have a lot of people who actually do have the same goal. You know, it's going to be a smaller movement. You know, well, no, no, it, it's it's all the same direction. So I think the idea is the same goal, but all not all. For, it's when it's all for the same reason. No, I know. I'm just saying I, that seems oddly dismissive of people agreeing, but like, okay. Um, <laughs> uh, the, I think the overall sentiment I, I appreciate. Yeah. Um, I, I will say like, we still don't know Nemec's background, you know, mm-hmm. like I, there's a lot of assumptions going on. And like that, I still find that like, I'm like, okay, I understand he might read like someone, you know, mm-hmm that maybe hasn't experienced the oppression, but maybe he did. Maybe his whole family and his entire planet like got murdered. We don't know, you know? And like, and maybe just the way he responds to it, the way he deals with it is in a more detached kind of academic sense, you know? Yeah. And like, we, we just don't know. And so yeah. I think to me, the, like the lesson there is like, just don't assume you know things about someone you don't know, you know, just because you've seen some patterns in other people. Mm-hmm. To be clear, part of what I meant there is not that we, the audience, know that he comes from a lot of privilege, yeah. but that the way he presents himself, I think it's understandable that a lot of the other characters see him that way. I think that's fair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That That's how he's perceived or was perceived yeah. before he got smashed by money. Um, yeah. Um, also, subtle, Sintra. Nothing subtle about that. Right. Exactly. <laughs> little, little, he- oh, God. a bit of a heavy <laughs> metaphor there. Yeah. Yeah. Space communist shot crushed by Das Kapital. Um, yeah. Capital and- itself was what crushed him. Yeah. Um, because this world has space lasers and hyperdrives, but not credit cards or checking accounts. Right. Just- yeah. 
moving on. <laughs> I, I mean, I don't know. Anyway, um, Sintra is a location or a country in uh, the Witcher world. Okay. So that's, that's where is. Sintra is. Uh, Sinta is the character here. <laughs> um, okay. Yeah. Okay. I'm ready to. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, you want you want to bring up the second condiment that is a little bit off for the yeah. Minute? So this one had a little a little bit much vinegar for me as well. Um, I thought the beginning of the Dedra and Cyril interaction was fantastic. I've really enjoyed both of their arcs to this point, um, and I'm interested in seeing where they go forward. I thought. Her being very dismissive to him in the beginning, but also being like, here's the thing, read it, let me get, extract what value from you I can. That all, that all made sense to me. I felt like after he kind of gave his whole like, this is my purpose, blah, blah, blah. I thought her reaction at that point to just 100% shut him down just didn't feel like in line with her always wanting to kind of explore every possibility and maximize whatever resources she might be able to utilize. I think what would have made more sense to me if she'd been like, that's great, okay, that's nice, and like kind of patting him on the head. Now you go there, shut up, and I'll come back to you at some point. Trust me, don't worry about it. Like, we'll figure this out together, but I'm in charge and you need to lie low. And like, kind of have him as this like potential tool in her toolbox going forward. I thought it felt a little heavy handed the way that she was like, you know, just never talk of this ever again to anyone, blah, blah, blah. Unless she knows that he's probably not going to do that and he's going to keep kind of making noise and there's like actually some deeper thing going on which i think is possible particularly when they showed the way she dealt with the the bix situation where you know when they've captured bix and they have that other guy that they're torturing and she's like no i want i want her to see him when she comes in and then and they're like oh okay and then bix comes in and dedra's like oh get that guy out of here like, why is he still here? You know, and so she's like clearly playing it on different levels. Like, it's that's completely an act, right? She's not like, now you see. She's trying to make it look like like something that it's not. She wants her to see it, but she doesn't want it to look like she wants her to see it, you know? And, right. and so I think it's possible that on some level she's trying to do something a little more subtle with Cyril but like it felt it just it just felt a little a little off to me I was like mm, I I feel like there's so much common ground there you know mm-hmm. it's like both places it's somebody kind of overreaching what the bureaucracy tells them to do in order to attempt to fulfill like the larger mission of the empire kind of it's like breaking a small rule in order to uphold the larger rules kind of right um and and so that that scene started off great to me and then kind of ended on a like "Eh, i don't i don't know if this feels quite right to me but i'm like the luthan and um um clea thing i'm i'm open to like future information letting me view that in a slightly different context but like Mm -hmm. that's gonna have to come otherwise it just feels a little a little off to me that's all didn't it feel though like um it was uh, uh the enculturation of being in the empire is how you treat others at different levels of the bureaucracy and she was just like the level of the bureaucracy that you're at is not worthy of my time 
Yeah, and so that's that's why the beginning of the conversation worked so well for me because I felt like a hundred percent that's how she would treat him. Oh, so it didn't like, go to begin with. Right. Yeah. For me, yeah. I felt like she's she is enculturated in that way, but also she understands that sometimes you need to kind of play a little play around with it. I don't I'm not expecting her to be like, oh, yes, tell me more. Let's be partners in this task, you know, mm-hmm. but I, I expect her to kind of use him more as a tool going forward to kind of see like, OK, maybe there's something that I can come back to him for and just be right. a little less overtly dismissive at the end of the conversation. It was really just the end of it that I felt like it should have gone somewhere a little different and it kind of didn't. But in terms of her initial reaction, 100%, yes. Yeah. So I feel very similar about this one to the last one in that I I it, I it wanted more. I think without being given more, it feels like a weird thing for her to do. I have a couple of theories as to why she might have done it. Mm-hmm. And I think you have each given a good theory and I'm going to give a new one in just a second. <laughs> and I feel like, again, if the show had just let us know a little more about her reasoning... It would have made more sense because the kind of thing where it doesn't feel out of character entirely. Right. But it feels like we need to know the what because what I thought the reason was, and I think I may have been headcanning it when I um, so first of all, I watched all of Tales of a Jedi right. right when it came out at two o'clock my time, started this at four o'clock my time, yeah. realized I didn't want catch all the details, and so I rewatched it yesterday. And one of the things that I, I caught on as I rewatched it, in part call because you had pointed that out. It felt to me like, yes, both of them want to buck the system, but he's really bad at it and she's really good at it. Oh, okay. And like she has proven that she knows exactly how to buck the system in ways that will make the people who are challenging her do that look stupid while she looks good. Whereas he's just banging his head against a wall, filing report after report. And And so my kind of thought was she's like, I want information for you. But if people link you to me, I will be discredited. Right, right, right. And that's especially why she's like, just shut up. Yeah. And and then, yeah, so I, I think the like, I'm going to come back and get you later. Don't worry. But your name's not going to like, because when he's like, I want to clear my name. I think she's like, yeah, no, that's not happening. Right, that's right. not my goal. <laughs> um, and it might be at some point she might learn to trust him more. But I, I think that's the theory I came away with is that she's worried that he – he just wants to like say f you to the system. She's like, no, I. Well, I'm not in that. No, he, yeah, he, yeah, no, I, uh, that's false. He he doesn't have any subtlety in his wanting to challenge the system, and he just wants just to like you know bang on the gates. She wants to be a lot more subtle and strategic, and so she wants nothing to do with him. But again, even just two seconds, like her assistant saying like don't you want to still keep working with him and her being like i don't want his name anywhere near what my name is doing you know something like that or something that was oh no no he's the kind of person if i tell him don't look into it he will look into it all the more right you know what your theory or kind of what you're saying matthew like if we just had five seconds that establishes one of those theories or something else i think it makes a lot more sense to me In drama, yeah. conversations have to have an arc, and it doesn't have an arc. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, there, so there's no resolution at the end of the interaction, and that, yeah. that's what's booking us. I think so. Yeah, I think it's a good way to put it. Yeah, and like, this is just going to bring me back to my first point before the series launched, or after we watched the first three episodes. Just give me all the episodes at once. 
Just yeah. let me watch the whole thing. Let me see the next episode and then be like, oh, okay, this makes sense because this or, oh, they never really resolved that. That's annoying. You know, yeah. here it's like it's paused at a point in time like that conversation didn't have an arc, but their overall long term reaction may have a very satisfying arc that, you know, maybe they know we're going to see eventually. But like, oh, it's like it's like another month. Like, you know, like, and I love watching this show every week, but I'd rather just watch it in a day. Like, I just want to see the whole thing or at least like the three episode arcs, you know, all at once and be like, you know. And I think especially if we'd had, it's the fact that we have both of these in the same episode. Because I think Mm. that if, again, her assistant had been like, why don't you want to keep working with him? And she just says, trust me or like, I've got a right, right, right. Something that doesn't tell us anything. But just tells her, like, there is a reason and she's going to reveal it later. Not only would it make me fine with that, I think it would have made me feel better about the the why are they trying to kill Andor thing. Right, right. It, it's that we get both of them. Yeah. It makes me be like, you've been so good at every character actually yeah. making sense that, that you've raised the bar really high and now but, I want you to meet but, that bar. But I think any, any quick little aside by her that would help mm-hmm. us accept the way it worked would not be true to her character, which is definitely not going to say to an assistant, trust me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ever no, you're right. It. She would yeah. just look at him like, why are you talking to me and saying this? Like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, and, and so it, it, yeah, it's just, I don't know, maybe it's just a frustration with like the story pausing where it does, you know? Because yeah. um, like, if, if you'd watch the next episode 10 minutes later and that episode had revealed why she had a, that she had a plan all along, yeah, you'd feel much better about it because you wouldn't have a week to sit wondering. Right, exactly. I don't like, <laughs> I don't like weeks to wonder. We, we are complaining about a week as though we didn't watch something where like a kid got his arm cut off and found out who his dad was and then it was two and a half years. <laughs> right. Oh, I, I, w- I was five, so... <laughs> 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 but, yes, but yeah, the, these point. stories used to come out once every three years and they were just two hour movies. And now, you know, you get 30, 40 minutes a week and it's like, oh, well, that's that's actually that's really not, not that long to wait. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we're spoiled. I mean, that's kind of again, like how many other TV shows would we say a tertiary character is doing something that doesn't completely make sense with another tertiary character? And I'm mad about it. Like. <laughs> I mean, I think they're both secondary characters, if anything. But, but yeah, I, I, <laughs> that's exactly what I was thinking. <laughs> that's well, but it's and a like very almost every show I watch. I, but like with most shows, just the list of complaints is so long that maybe would never get around to such things. But yeah, right. Yeah, it's more of a quibble uh, than yeah. a than a complaint, I would say. But it's just it's just like everything just feels like like just like not a hair out of place practically in the series that like when something just doesn't ring a hundred percent true it's there's just i just feel this contrast you know whereas like everything else i just feel so like immersed and involved in the series it's like the car right the flying the floating car where it's like that it that that looks like I see CGI, you know, it feels weird. Whereas the rest of the show, it's just like, no, this is just, this is a place that things are happening with people and like, it just feels real. And then it's like, there's this one thing that feels like, "Eh, I I don't know. But yeah, anyway, enough of that for me, for me, you please continue to say any (laughs) other thoughts that you might all have. Uh, Matthew, did you have any other like little quibbles about the episode or last things you want to say positive about it either way? 
I will say a last thing positive. Um, one of the things I really appreciate. One of the things I really appreciated um, was the dinner party. Um, I'm going to call um, the guy Mon Mothma's high school friend. Mm-hmm. Sure. Right. I really appreciated how hard they a time they had talking about what they were doing secretly. Um, yes. Um, how difficult it is to talk to somebody about a thing that you really don't want anybody to know you know or you're doing. Uh, it was yeah. like a, a, this interesting negotiation of of revolution um, in action. And I thought it was really realistic and really beautifully done. And it's doubly interesting to me because not only is it about like the difficulty of keeping a secret, but just like I'm at a party, I'm having an interesting conversation with someone and then five different people come up and interrupt the conversation. He's like, oh, hey, I just wanted to come over and say hi to, to one of the two of us and just try to take over the conversation. We're both just like politely waiting to get through the small yeah. talk of that person so we can get back to our real conversation, which. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's bad enough when you're not plotting a rebellion, (laughs) you know, (laughs) but now that you're risking death to do it. Exactly. I also just I loved that they are just slowly with little things here and there reminding us that this is a world where teenagers get married and become senators. And that's not like a weird thing that was happening on. And granted, they've established that Shandrilla, and I think they've done this in books as well, is a very kind of old school traditional place. And so was Naboo. Mm. So it's not that like everywhere this is happening, but like, yeah, Padme, Padme, you know, being a senator and then a a queen and then a senator her age is not totally out of step. And like, they didn't have to drop the detail that Mon and this guy had gotten married before she became a senator at 16. Right. But it also further establishes like, why are you with this guy? Right. Oh, okay. you started out and you know yeah you got married in high school basically and then you mm-hmm. became a senator your junior year like, right <laughs> this guy tay though he's like older than them right that's her friend tay um i looked it up i don't i don't remember okay but, uh i guess so so maybe he was like one of her teachers or something or or, or just i mean or a family friend so. or something i don't know yeah it, i mean it's weird because Well, this is happening, what, like seven, this is happening about like eight years before Return of the Jedi. And she looks fairly young in Return of the Jedi. She looks like late 30s, 40s. So she has to be fairly young and she has a teenage daughter. So I guess they have to do that to make all the ages line up. But yeah, this is like, isn't this this five years before the Battle of Yavin? And then Return of the Jedi takes place about three, I think three years after that. That's it? Is it supposed to actually be right after Empire? More or less. I think it's been I like, don't know, well, whatever time in Star Wars and come on, like <laughs> yeah. All right, well, Matthew, for folks who are hearing you and want to kind of learn more about what you do, um, they can uh, enroll, I believe, at Pace University. But if they want to take a somewhat less <laughs> drastic life change, uh, where else can they uh, find you? Well, first off, Pace University has a number of good scholarship programs. Um, but yeah, no, um, the only place you can find me online is probably uh, Facebook and who wants to find me at Facebook. Um, but uh, I did do a book on Star Wars at one point um, right after Revenge of the Sith. It's an academic book. Um, and if you want to find out about it, I guess you'd go to my website, which is MatthewCapel.com. Um, and it, 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 it's there are four Matthew Capels on Earth. So you will find me. Mm. Okay. 
cool. Uh, whereas if people search for me, generally they get the actor from Party of Five. Yes. Uh, so that's who uh, I got. From, from Lost, right? <laughs> from Lost. Yeah, definitely check that out. And oh yeah, Lost uh, too. Um, definitely check that out. And I believe you also have a book about Magic the Gathering that's in process, right? Yeah, that's um, a, a book series I edit, which is on um, digital and tabletop games from an mm-hmm. academic book series. I am not editing that book. That's just going to be in my series that I edit. But somebody oh, else wonderful. is doing the work. And it, it should be out sometime next year. That series is just nice. about to hit 50 titles. So so I'm oh, feeling very proud of it. Awesome. And, and awesome. the vast majority of them are not just white guys, which is what game studies tends to be, hmm. which was the yeah. whole point of starting that's, it. Yeah, That's a really good point. Yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll chat about that on a future episode for sure. Uh, Paul, what is the madman doing that is Zen? Uh, yeah, just various things. I don't really have much to, to promote at the moment. I, I might do a thing that then I'll talk about, but... I'm not going to talk about doing the thing until I do the thing. So, uh, yeah, I'm just Zen Madman a bunch of places. You can look up Paul Hoppy and probably find some children's books that I didn't write. If you look up Paul Christopher Hoppy, you can find books that I actually wrote myself. So, yeah, yep. there's there's like Way a German per- Paul Hoppy that makes children's <laughs> books and other things. Nice. And, of course, I'm the Ethical Panda. You can find me on this podcast and also on my other one, Superhero Ethics, that uh, both Matt, Matthew has been on and Paul is a frequent guest on. Um, and, of course, all this stuff is at theethicalpanda.com. We've been getting some great feedback. This episode went long, uh, but I have had some feedback about both this and about Clone Wars. I promise you we're going to get to those. We need to do a full feedback episode. Uh, we're also going to be recording at another time an episode on Tales of the Jedi, but I hope that's going to go up fairly soon. Um, uh, we may do that in a couple of different parts, and we'll see where that goes. But most importantly that's where you can give us feedback we love to hear that feedback uh we'll take it into account we try to the, the, the two that we've gotten um most recently are really long let's want to give them a lot of time but you know write it in tell us if you want us to read it on the air or if you just want to discuss it in email i've got a server that you can find uh paul also has a server both of those on discord those are great ways to continue the conversation find me on twitter email send us in let us know what you think we'd love to hear continue the conversation with you all so i'm half myself paul matthew thank you all so much for being a great audience and the stinger is going to be a separate episode about tales of the jedi so i'll just say thank you all so much and keep fighting your own revolutions but don't kill each other 